Love Talk Radio. down every single sport for you. On Thursday nights from 8 to 10, we are the true voice of the fans, so you know we always win. From hoops to football, the video games, baseball, hockey, the NCAA, we give our side because that's all we know. This is a labor of love. That's why we do this show. From the murder mitten to the sunshine state, we can talk all day about who's great. Give us a call anytime, 760-539-3269. You know if we could, we would do this every day. Welcome to this episode of Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. What's good, sports fans? Welcome to another episode of Sports Q&A. I'm Q. And I'm A. And unfortunately, it was a huge delay today, but I'm glad we're here with you. And, uh... Welcome to tonight's episode of Sports Q&A. It is Tuesday, June the 13th, 2017. Well, it looks like the cheese stands alone. It's baseball season only, but before we jump into the highlights of the most recent championships, let's talk about how you can find us and follow us and all those beautiful things. So, you can follow us on Instagram at sports underscore QA. Also on Twitter, sports underscore QA. Also, sports underscore QA underscore preps. Also, Facebook, the Facebook page, L-O-W-E, the letter N, Washington. That's L-O-W-E, the letter N, Washington. Also, follow the Facebook group, Sports Q&A, and the Facebook fan page, Sports Q&A. Go to our website, which is www. SportsQANDA.com. That is www.sportsQANDA.com. And last but not least, give us a call this evening. Seven. I'm giving you way the wrong number. Ha! Give us a call. Give us a call. It's seven six zero five three nine thirty two seven. That is seven six zero five three nine thirty two sixty nine. I think I gave it wrong number the first time. I got so thrown off. Yeah, you did. Uh, I got thrown off about the issue with us uh, not being, you know. Yeah, if if you listen to this show for any amount of time, you know the issues and the struggles that we have or have had. Haven't had much in in the recent history, but we've had it. Uh, and apparently, it's reared its ugly head uh, for tonight's episode. But we're gonna go ahead and move forward and move on. And was this NBA championship 
and all the things and what it means and all those great things with the Warriors winning the championship in five games uh, over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Q stuck to his guns even after two old lead. It easily could have been a 2-2 lead, uh, but things didn't fall the way of the Cavs. Cavs with almost a record shooting game in game four at home to prevent the sweep. And as some people call it, my good friend, Coach King Flowers calls it, Golden State closed it out in a gentleman's sweep, uh, 4-1. So looking at this, what is the one thing that stands out the most to you from this series? It could be from a team, from a player. What stands out the most? Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to have to stick with the team and that uh, Golden State is going to be dangerous for the next couple of years. Uh, I This is a perfect situation to pick your poison, and no matter what you pick, it's going to be a quick death. And that was this team last year. But it got even more vicious with the addition of Kevin Durant. And truthfully, I don't see a team right now in the NBA that can hang with them in the seven-game series. It's really – it is really difficult looking at how Golden State uh, is built and how they're playing – to kind of see them as being unstoppable. But, and this is a but, because it always happens, and, and at least in our lifetime, and I can say that, we have not seen the type of dynasty that revels in what the 60s were for the Celtics. And you have Thing, potentially what a lot of people feel could be that. Um, but you have a couple uh, a couple of uh, bumps in the road that could occur with free agency coming up. Steph Curry, unrestricted agent after uh, next season. No, this season. 17-18. Uh, Iguodala, and I think the person, even though this guy is kind of locked up, I think the person that may be the biggest thorn in the side of Golden State being the next best thing to the Celtics as far as a dynasty would be a guy who I should say would, could be the key to the to would be the key to the championship, and he really was just you know. A third piece, sometimes a fourth piece, is Clay Thompson, um, and I, and I say this because of, I say that because of this. You look at historically when you look at teams that win championship, and I'm gonna stick it to to NBA because the NFL guys bolt like lightning bolts uh, when they win championship and go for the money. Uh, in the NBA, you usually have your stars stick around. You usually have that one player who's a key. Per, a key, who holds a key role that 
number one, either feels that they can get become that alpha dog on another team, can B, get paid like the alpha dog on, on another team, or C, is tired of living in the shadows and wants to try something new. Uh, I think out of all the people within that is Clay Thompson kind of fits that role. Now, granted, his contract for the next two years is 17 mil and then 18.9. Most people would say that's not uh, trade friendly or any other type of friendly, but the CBA for the NBA is ridiculous. So uh, NBA coaches really don't mind paying that luxury tax. The biggest thing with, with Golden State and and them remaining unstoppable is them not stopping themselves. Uh, and stopping themselves would be through uh, exits or injuries. Uh, I think that would be the only thing that, w- that would stop them. I mean, you have some up-and-coming teams that potentially could get to that point. That, But I think when they get to that point, they will be catching whichever team is still there between these two which seem like to be on a collision course again for a fourth year, even built how they are now, uh, we'll have to catch it, be catching them on the downside of or downslide of, of this run that they're on. Um, yeah, it's – I agree, but if it happens, unless you're a Golden State, a true Golden State fan, because I see all these pop these pop up Golden State fans, but unless you're a true Golden State fan, you cannot be you you cannot be entertained by this for five six years. Like the reason I think it's so entertaining now because you have them going against Cleveland. But what happened when when the bottom falls out against Cleveland, when LeBron can't get that star power to come back because either salary wise it doesn't work or uh, chemistry wise it's not working. So then what? So then who's really going to be playing for them to go against the Celtics or Milwaukee or whatever is that team that elevates or Toronto that elevates to that next level? What kind of marquee finals is that going to be? I mean, if you had a Toronto-Golden State finals next year, I'm not even thinking from a fan point of view, are you looking at that as entertaining or are you looking at how bad are they going to beat them? Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing about it. And, I mean, I think a handful of Golden State quote-unquote fans develop out of the dislike for LeBron James and the dislike for Cleveland. And whereas, and I'm going to take a a team better than Toronto because I still think they need some pieces. Uh, If Boston somehow supplants Cleveland, or gets there next year or the next couple of years. That team, because how they're constructed right now or will be constructed unless something like Blockbuster happens, they don't have that player on their team that they that's a villain. LeBron is a villain. Kyrie is a villain to some fans. So when you look at Isaiah Thomas, when you look at Al Horford, Marcus Smart, none of those guys are quote-unquote bad guys. So. Now that's where Golden State becomes the hunter because at some point, everybody hates success. Everybody hates a winner. And just like you have the New England hate, the hate brigade, you had those who did not like San Antonio when they were winning, 
who did not like the Bulls when they were winning, you're going to find that that uh, that 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 grouping of people hating or wanting Golden State to win lose to grow and grow and grow as years go on, especially if they keep this same unit intact. And and, and going back right quick to what you said about Clay Thompson, I read an article on Bleacher Report. He's actually, I don't know how true this is and whether this could just be a prisoner of the moment, them basking in the in the fact that this they had their they were on the road to the success. He's okay with being that, that guy. He doesn't mind creating a championship legacy and not going somewhere else to be the man, which is crazy and goes against everything you would think as far as competition in sports. But that's this new age athlete now. They'd rather stick around, be the third or fourth guy, and win two or three or four rings than try to go somewhere else, get paid, and only, in his case, only have two rings and not have a, not ever have figured out, okay, can you be the man? And it's unfortunate if, he's tru- if he truly feels that way and sticks to Golden State just because. So here's a question, and we had a very spirit, high-spirited conversation earlier today kind of about this, but we didn't talk about this aspect that I'm about to bring up. Um, so, all right, so the goal of everybody, ideally, who plays anything, at least play professional sports on a high level, is to be the best player. At some point in time, I would think that you recognize that you may not be the best player, but you can be your best. So if you recognize that your best is not the best player, is it complacency? If you're you're willing to, I'm not even going to say settle or be content, or recognize that this is who you are and this is the role that you play, and I'm fine with that, being the role player, even though maybe other people may see potential in you being more than that. I mean, just like honestly, being being the Robin mm-hmm. or not even the Robin, being I don't even know who the third who the third superhero would be. I mean, being the Robin, in this case, not gender, but being Batgirl, <laughs> just huh. somebody that's <laughs> further removed. I said I said it wasn't about gender. That was the only person I could think of, so it wasn't calling him a girl. So don't... Robin's Robin. That was. That was better than Batgirl. But I, I get the point, though. I think that's an underachievement and a complacency because, okay, now what stops him? And, and, and I'm going to bring this up with Durant, too. You always, even though some people are going to respect his ring, we have, we've already seen some that said they're not, but at some point, you have to wonder. A competitive spirit within you has to wonder, can I do this by myself or can I do this without, if you're looking at Thompson or you're looking at uh, Durant, can I do this without Curry? Can I do this without Draymond? Can I do this without the the fearsome foursome? That's a competitive spirit that you would think would kind of, 
I, I just interrupt you. It's a competitive spirit, but he's been on that other side of the coin. With with Russ, well, Durant, yeah, Hart. but but not Thompson. Oh, I, I mean Thompson, no, but I mean, if you can go, I mean, here's the thing: would you, would you rather be? I'm gonna try to do a comparison. That's a gross comparison, but it's a comparison. Would you rather be? All right. Would you rather be Robert Horry or Grant Hill? Hmm. I mean, truthfully, Grant Hill. No rings. Career, career, uh, cut. The potential of the career cut short by injury, even though he had a resurgence near the end of his career. But no rings. And Big Bob, Big Shot Bob has how many? Six? Seven? Seven. Big Shot Bob got seven rings. So no rings. And potentially, it, and Grant Hill is not a Hall of Famer, is it? Yet? Is not it? yet. So potential be a Hall of Famer. Potential be a Hall of Famer. But what you're known for, your claim to fame is the injury. Because. Nobody really, when they talk about uh, uh, Grant Hill, nobody really talks about how dominant he was his first five years in the, as a Piston. They talk about the injuries. Right. Right. So you're known for the injuries. So that, that we're putting that in play. Granted, I'm making it, once again, I said it before. I said it is a gross, it's a gross uh, scenario. But who would you rather be? See, you could have said Barkley. And that would have been no, a little bit more. Uh, Barkley is a Hall of Famer. I had to pick two people that weren't Hall of Famers, but I had to pick somebody that was good enough for, so it would really be a discussion. I couldn't pick a finished Dembo. Or, uh, well, I, okay. And and what makes it frustrating even with – because the only reason I say that is because of the injuries, whereas if you say somebody – and this is – he had his injuries, but he had more great seasons than he didn't. Chris Webber. Weber was the type of player that he simply ran into an L.A. team that was better at the time and caught a couple of breaks. So I think he's a better example because at least he made it to the Western Conference Finals. At least he had a team that was right there on the cusp and just didn't get over the hump, whereas Grant really never even experienced that. And if I had to choose between Chris Weber. And Robert Ory, I had to go with Weber because at least I know I I did my job. Whereas Ory, and you still got people out here arguing this for for some crazy reason. Is he a Hall of Famer? Hell no, he's not a Hall of Famer. But they 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 only put him in the conversation because he's the baggage championship guy. He 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 got his seven rings on the, the coattail of Duncan, Robinson, Kobe, Shaq, Drexler, uh, Hakeem. Never, I mean, I think he may have averaged over double figures two or three of them seasons in the NBA. So he was always a role player. This wasn't even a, a situation where this was a guy that was uh, – 
a key component, and then as his career waned, he turned into a journeyman. He picked up a couple of rings that way. I could respect him even, even more if it was that situation. But he didn't. He just was like, okay, I'm going to just – I'm the Patrick McCall. I'm the uh, – the who is it? A couple other guys on Golden State now just happy to be there. He's not even Andre Iguodala. Well, Andre Iguodala was MVP of finals two years ago, so – he stepped yeah, up in the role which is, when, when the time when you know when the time came. So uh, even last night he had twenty points. True. And a huge, uh, a huge step up in the game where they needed every ounce of those, every inch of those points. So, I mean, I'm just the thing is because I mean, it, I mean, it's, at the end of the day. Everybody can't be great, so your best is is sometimes when you compare it to the the, the great players, you're gonna fall short. But your best may be your best. Like Big Shot Bob averaged what six points a game, six point nine, something like that. But in the clutch, he was able to channel something to be able to make those shots, and enough for team three teams. For him uh, to to rely on him to be able to do that, so I'm just thinking when you look at playing that role, at what point do you say, okay, I'm gonna be this role, this is my role, and I'm gonna be the best at that role, be a Benny Johnson, be a, uh, a whoever, a, a key role player that plays that role and does that well to the best of your ability and doesn't have to or feel the need to be a star. I mean, that's, now, I mean, that's the fine. thing. And people automatically talk it up. Talk it up is well, you don't want to be great, or you can't be great, or what happens if you go somewhere else? Well, you can be happy, and I could be in a great situation, not necessarily content, without necessarily doing what the masses may want me to do. Go ahead. Now, th- I think what you're talking about and what Clay Thompson is is a step away from each other. Uh, Right now, and I'm going to just use this name because this is the only person I can think of at the moment on Golden State, Patrick McCall. As he stands mm-hmm. right now, he'll never be more than a, a role player for Golden State. He will be foolish to, like, if he was under a one-year contract to decide, ooh, I'm going to try to go make my money and take a bigger role. Not yet, dude. You're not ready for that. You better sit here and enjoy this another year at Golden State if they had you back and move from there. Whereas Clay, I think he's done enough as a score, having the the 30-point quarter, having those moments where you have to wonder, how would this be if he was on? And I'm not saying he has to take on a team by himself, but put him, and this is just hypothetical, put him in Milwaukee where they've been needing a consistent outside shooter for years. You put him with Greek Freak. Chris Middleton, uh, those guys under Jason's kids' tutelage, now he can be that. He's still not that 1A guy. He's not that alpha dog, but he's 1B. Or that 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 second in command behind Greek Freak, and that could still work just as well. Whereas you send him to somewhere like Philadelphia, 
would be foolish because they they're going to expect him to be carrying the team offensively, and that's not. I don't think that's his his mo, and I don't think he's he's cut like that. But he can be a guy that can be that second fiddle, come in on a consistent night, uh, get you twenty to twenty three, even as a, a a high contributor. And I think that's where the, the whole difference is. Whereas guys like Iguodala, guys like Ori, Patrick McCall are never going to be able to give you that, and they know better, or they should know better to say, okay, I'm going to jump out here and take this $18 million from uh, Dallas, even though I know I'm going to be exposed. And that's why, truthfully, that's why DeAndre Jordan reneged on that contract deal, because he realized if I go to Dallas, they're going to expect more than I'm willing to – I'm capable of giving, whereas here in L.A., all I got to do is rebound and catch alley-oops, and I'm good. They're going to expect me to shoot. They're going to expect me to be some type of offensive threat here in Dallas, and that's not going to work. And he realized his limitations and who he was, and he, he woke up before he signed that, before that deal was complete and was able to get out of it, whereas too many of these guys – sign those deals, and end up regretting it after the fact. Yeah, I mean, taking that jump, I mean, it's it's risk-reward, high-risk, high-reward, uh, going to take that contract by having uh, higher expectations. But, excuse me, at this time, uh, Clay has that contract. You know, he has the money that he – and he's locked up. For what he's locked up till 2020. No, that's that's Draymond. Uh, to 2019. So he still has two more seasons, and then you look at who what they're paying and who they're paying. Because right now, uh, for all that he does, Steph Curry is kind of low man on the totem pole when it comes to right. salary. So he. Get the pay. He's gonna have to get the payday. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just uh, going to be a very sticky situation being able to keep that around, keep that core around. I think you can move some of these other pieces around, but this is not a lot of salary. I mean, you're looking potentially at having four max players on the team, and mm-hmm. Curry is going to be a super max player. So you're looking at a point where you're going to have and you and you almost need, have to keep these four together and just build pieces around them. Otherwise, you're going to have issues. I mean, Iguodala, maybe, I would say maybe one, maybe two years left. But there ain't no way they can bring him back next year for $11 million. Especially you got to pay Steph. And potentially try to re-up uh, if, if, if uh, Durant wants to opt out so he can re-up and get a contract. I mean, you got a lot of options, a lot of things to decide upon, um, but you got to keep your four together, I I would think. Um, Because you have – and I'm I'm looking at their roster, trying to look at a player who could really – who's had a decent enough season that they could really go and get – a bigger payday. I'm looking at one person that's just staring at me just based on what this dude is making. Granted, he he didn't set the world afire, but he he played his role and was able to be that rim protector that every team needs. 
is JaVale McGee, tail and all, he's only making nine hundred eighty thousand. So some team will be willing to pay him. I mean, the people think it's crazy, but it's easy to see him making five million next year with the CBA for a team that needs a big man. Now, granted, if a team needs a big man, if they need him to start, they'll pay him more than that. But playing that role and like you be this rim protector, you be this this rebounder, you be this. That's what we need you to be. That's 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 kind of chump change in the NBA in today's NBA. Um, yeah, and another guy that's going to come up on a payday that they possibly won't be able to afford is Ian Clark, the backup guard. Yeah. Um, I don't know how tall he is. He's in his last year of his contract. This past season, he made in base salary one point zero five zero one five million dollars. So even if he's not nowhere near max guy, nowhere near that, even that second tier, but if you push him up to the five, six, seven million dollar range, he's outpriced himself in Golden mm-hmm. State. And this is a perfect example of that guy that he has two rings, or I think he has two rings. At least one. Well, we know for one, for sure one. And he has to decide, okay, at some point, I got to make my money because I'm that fringe NBA player that they still don't know where I fit in. Am I a six-man type guy that can come off and spark a team, or am I just a rotational guy that will never be more than a spot-up shooter and a, a 10, 15-minute guy for the backup point guard? As a backup point guard slash shooting guard, which means I can go, I can, I'm gonna end up shuffling from team to team, chasing one and two year deals, because he yeah. can't afford to be that that guy that's gonna sit there and say, oh, I take less money, dude. You might not get that deal ever again if you, and 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 that's why I think honestly they started playing. Uh, Patrick McCall a lot more because they, like we got to see what we have in him because we can't afford to keep him, Sean Livingston, and Ian Clark on our roster because one of those three, if not all three, eventually are going to outprice themselves. And, and truthfully, like you said, it's Wadala. He's coming into he'll be a free agent this year, and shoot the perfect team. If I'm LeBron, I'm making a phone call. You you get him on Cleveland, even for one year or two years. He's that guy. If you put his role that he played in Golden State in Cleveland, not not only have you improved your team, you weaken your primary contender because he was the guy that when they when Durant went to the bench, there wasn't that much drop off because he could still check. He could still check. Clay, I mean not Clay. He could still check Kyrie. He could still check uh, LeBron and still have some offensive output. Now you put him, you swap him out with uh, Iman Shumpert. That's an upgrade on both ends of the ball. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of things that that they need to prioritize on what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. Uh, I'm pretty sure they've been thinking about it. Prior to, they'll celebrate and get their, you know, who's their priorities. And in some of these positions may look to upgrade in some situations to, to to provide that. Right now, they really are in a position that, you know, 
you know certain players are coming back. But the thing is, at what cost? Iguodala definitely is coming at, at a cheaper price if he's coming back. Uh, I mean, you look at free agent, David West probably won't be back. He's at, a little, I would assume it's the league minimum. Uh, uh, no, it can't be. But he's at 908, uh, 980, 431, which three people on a, on a team is. Uh, you also have uh, Sean Livingston. Uh, JaVale McGee, Petulia, uh, Livingston, like you said, Iguodala, uh, Durant, which is a player option, uh, Steph Curry, Matt Barnes, and Clark. Everybody not getting signed. So you so you look at that situation of who do you feel you have to have, and how do you how do you go about it? You gotta if you say you gotta have Iguodala back, I would sign Iguodala first, cheaper to make sure that everybody knows he's part of the plan. Mm-hmm. I don't think you gotta worry about Steph leaving at all. But it's just about at how much, and Steph may give them the discount on a short year con uh, short year contract. Um, but right now, he is definitely the low man on the totem pole at twelve million for what he does for his team in the NBA and their salaries is underpaid grossly. Grossly, with KD, with KD paying twenty seven, getting paid twenty seven. So. Uh, when it comes to that, on that piece uh, regarding uh, the Warriors and how they're going to adjust and and bounce back and continue to be the dominant team, they got some decisions to make. And there's some tough decisions, too. Yeah. And see, I think looking at Cleveland, this is the year where it may not be those true max players out there but there are a couple of guys that are role players that can that they can swap out. Because even if you look at Cleveland's free agents upcoming, you got Kyle Corbett, who's unrestricted, James Jones, who's unrestricted, Darren Williams, Derek Williams, and Dante Jones. You you have to figure all one, two, three, four, five. Five of those guys probably not coming back. Then you probably mm-hmm. you may add. Uh, Iman Shumper trying to figure out what to do with him. And I don't know how true this is. Maybe even Kevin Love if they get the right deal. You swap uh, James Jones out for Gallinari, that's an upgrade. Because some of these guys that are unrestricted free agents in the league are going to, they understand, and I think the league is starting to understand this. We got to go. If it's about winning the championship, there are certain teams we have to go to, and we gotta we gotta suck it up if we want to help the league take down this this Goliath. And that may mean right. signing a one year one year deal, two year with a player option deal, just for the sake of it. Because as I asked the question earlier, what team out there right now, the way they are currently structured, without making a blockbuster trade, I mean, Kevin Love for Carmelo or somebody like that for Paul George, no team is constructed 
or has the flexibility that it needs to be able to acquire a piece where you can say, oh, now they are truly the odds on favor to be Golden State. Because even if somehow Cleveland gets Paul George, is that enough? That's not enough. They need Paul George and, uh, shoot, somebody else, Serge Ibaka or Kyle, I ain't going to say Kyle Lowry, or somebody like a, shoot, Drew Holiday as a free agent. Somebody that they can bring off the bench that they know can hit an open shot because that's where it killed them. Up until the last two games, nobody for Cleveland was reliable. J.R. Smith finally woke up, but it was too late. And no one, and I think this is where LeBron and his whole talk of, I need some help. I don't think he really wanted to change the roster, but he saw what these guys were doing in practice. He saw what they were doing in the game. So it's like, dude, I can't depend on these guys that hit open jumpers. Iman Shumper couldn't hit the side of a barn with a bazooka. J.R. Smith was inconsistent. Even Kevin Love had his primary moments of inconsistency. Nobody stepped up besides him and Kyrie. And you can't, and that's with the starters. Not to mention the bench was non-existent. So you can't go into a game with a team like Golden State and only have two, two and a half, three guys that you can count, that you can count on all night. And that's even with playing with LeBron James and the caliber of player he is. So I got to, for all those haters, LeBum, the, the side comments, oh, he's trash. I'm like, dude, nobody would have beat Golden State with that roster last year. And, and, and this goes back to even the whole his finals record. He's, I think three or four of those series, he wasn't even favored. So, I mean, it, it's, it's just frustrating. I can jump on that, but. I'm going to try to stick to this for a second. You still look at guys like, shoot, George Hill is an unrestricted free agent. J.J. Reddick. Imagine him in Cleveland right now. If it's really about him getting the championship, he becomes that that spot-up shooter. You move uh, Jarrett Smith to the bench. That's more consistency. You get somebody like uh, uh, Darren Collison to run the point. You, there's some, some decent names out there with decent game that you can. If Cleveland can maneuver and, and play around with these this lineup and these contracts, they can get a couple of guys that aren't big names that can help them stay competitive with Golden State. It's just going to take them having LeBron to do it. Yeah, uh, because built how they are right now, they can't beat them in a seven-game series. And you look at who's there and who's not. And actually, what I'll do is I'll, we'll go in the break and then we'll look at the Cleveland side of it and then really look at some of the comments and some of the perspectives of Cleveland and where they are and where can they be. And, you know, how long this window of time they have with the, them making, you know, a real true finals push. Uh, so we're going to hear our sponsors, and we will be right back. This half-hour sports Q&A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. 
Welcome back to Sports Q&A. It is 920 in the p.m. on Tuesday, June the 13th, 2017. Welcome back to Sports Q&A. Give us a call at 760-539-3269. That is 760-539-3269. So you catch us on the other side. We're in the midst of haven't even really gotten into the game. We're just talking about the after effects, uh, what – each team should or needs to do to be able to win another championship to defeat the other team. And we just broke down uh, Golden State and what they had with their free agents and who they need to – type of player they need to acquire. So you look at Cleveland. Cleveland, when you look at free agents, you have Darren Williams, Derek Williams. You have Cal Corver. James Jones, Dante Jones, and that's that's it. it. So when you look at that for Cleveland, the obvious question uh, or the obvious, uh, the elephant in the room is that you're going to have to make some moves via trade. Uh, You look at some players that will have to be traded in order to be able to be on your team. You look at Paul George. You look at – uh, mellow, uh, you look at players like that, but what would you have to lose? I heard on a radio station other, uh, earlier today where they, they they can trade love for for um, uh, for Paul George and a draft pick, and they will be an uh, upgrade. But I think that may be a push. Um, just the overall effect, the inside out, the mismatch mismatches that Kevin Love can create. Kevin Love is not the dominant player that he was in Minnesota. But, again, he was never asked to be or never was, I'm not going to say allowed to be, but that wasn't his team. Minnesota was his team through and through from the beginning to the end once he got there and showed his dominance. Um, So it was a different role. Um, You're going to have to do something real creative. You're not going to get too many players coming to Cleveland for the minimum unless they're cutting players. And, I mean, players you're looking at that could be cut, and I'm just looking at contracts. Mon Shumper getting paid 10 mil next year? I think not, my friend. Uh, J.R. Smith? I think he may have, that the, the game five, he may have proved his worth again, but he needs to be more consistent. But that's just kind of his career. Uh, next season, making 13. Uh, Tristan Thompson is somebody who needs to get his contract re-upped because he's a poor man, Andre Drummond. Um, Not even that. Right. Um, and then I'm trying to look and see. And, so, and that's the thing. They don't have these big, gross contracts. I mean, you basically loaded with three guys. And Kevin Love contract is so big, I don't see Indiana taking on that for a player that you are not necessarily going to build around. I mean, he has three years left, well, two years left on the contract with a, a third-year player option. But in, being in exile in Indianapolis and not being necessarily on the good team and replacing the face of uh, the franchise – well, not necessarily may not be the best thing. And I don't necessarily think that that's the move that the new regime for the Pacers wants to make. 
Because I don't think that – I think they can get much more value trading him to the Lakers with Lakers with a team with young talent and having draft picks. So it, it'll be mindful, yes, LeBron – and here's the thing. LeBron needs to get in his ear, but he's, he's not a free agent. So how does that work? That's what I heard. You said LeBron needs to get in his ears for him to be able to go. But Cleveland right here has kind of put painted themselves into uh, a corner with the rumored LeBron picking his team, and now you're in a situation that you probably have maxed out on your output from the team that you have. And you, I mean, even with the, the, the free agents that you have for next season, the amount of salary that's coming off, and I'm – I mean, Darren Williams and Derrick Williams are not even making five hundred thousand collectively. You have Kyle Korver making five million. You got James Jones making about a, a thousand. You got Dante Jones. I've missed him uh, making about one point five. That's about eight million right there. That's it. Right. So you got a draft pick. Or, or two draft picks, what are you going to do? You're going to have to make – if Cleveland is going to really get better, they're going to have to make multiple moves. And they're going to possibly have to move a key piece. I'm not going to be the one to suggest that it's going to be uh, Kyrie. What I'm saying is that you you look at those other players on their move, they're only two players that, that, that teams that are willing to give up some true talent are willing going to be willing to trade for, and that's going to be Kyrie or Kevin Love. Kyle Corbett is not under contract, so who else would you trade for on that contract? I mean, on that on that roster. Nobody. Nobody. They're in the bad. They're in a bad situation of how their roster is made up and what they need to do to get better to beat Golden State. And, and that's why. Truthfully, Boston was in a good position. They have the they have the resources as far as players and contracts and draft picks, but they're not trying to move. They're not trying to acquire that piece uh, as a, as far as a current star or current talent that could challenge one Cleveland and then contend with Golden State. Because you figure, okay, if I'm Boston. I don't care. I'm entertaining whatever I got to do to get rid of that second pick. Is it uh, Paul George? Is it Jimmy Butler? Is it somebody else out there that I can say, hmm, y'all take this, I'll take the guaranteed player, and I'll probably give you somebody like a a, a Marcus Smart or a uh, – uh, <laughs> Dang, the rookie from uh, Louisville, I can't think of his name right now. They have enough pieces, or some, even somebody like a Jalen Brown. Move him and go for it. They have to because because I don't think even if they draft Markel Fultz, how is that going to put them in the position to beat Cleveland and then take down Golden State? Because now you have two undersized guards, not really someone that can – who's going to check Clay? Who's going to check Durant? Those questions are still there. 
and that's where going up against that four-headed monster is is a matchup nightmare. You have you may have one teams may have one or two guys that can check somebody on that roster. It's rare that you have four. I mean, it's rare that you have three, and damn near impossible to have four. When you start looking at uh, matching up and having a comparable matchup with Draymond and and Clay or Draymond and and Durant, there's no team out there that can say, oh, I could put this guy on Steph and we're okay. He may get us for 20, but he's not going to hurt us. You put this guy on Durant and we're going to make him battle. Because even even if uh, San Antonio comes back healthy, they still have questions at the one and two. You got Leonard at the three, and then Aldrich hasn't really lived up to his expectations at the four. So that's that's questions. And I give San Antonio credit because they're they're starting to make that that youth turn with Anderson, uh, Dejounte Murray, Kyle Anderson. Those three players are key to them kind of taking a step back, but taking a small step back, but still jumping back in it. Because if they can provide something to go along with Leonard and Aldridge, who still should have something left in the tank, that's the only team I can possibly see. And that's even without Chris Paul. Because everybody's been talking about, oh, bringing CP3 to San Antonio. I'm not one of those guys that likes that trade or that likes that acquisition because he, what does he do that, that much better that uh, Tony, a healthy Tony Parker can't do because neither one of them are going to be able to check Steph Curry. And is at this stage in his career, is CP3 enough of a score to balance out what they're going to lose on the defensive side? I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I think I mean Tony Parker is on close to his last leg. I think CP3 has three to five more years playing at where he is. I think it may be a push, and I think the age factor, even though the injury factor may be equal, the age factor when healthy, I think that the Chris Paul has the edge, and he could open up more. I mean, Tony Parker is the king of the of the driving guards. I mean, uh, he he goes among, uh, up against the trees all the time. But, I mean, I think it will be a small upgrade, but I think it may be an upgrade as far as uh, possibly tempo. I mean, because Tony is, is up there in age. Uh, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a great thing. I think it may be a good thing, and that will give them an additional push. But provide a, a mismatch that Tony Parker may not provide. Um, and the one thing is CP3 is more of a distributor than Tony Parker is. Uh, Tony Parker is a good passer, but he's not a distributor. He's driving to that hole where he is taking that shot uh, and getting that foul most of the time. So I think that it could be an upgrade. Once again, it probably goes against what San Antonio believes and making that big – paying that big contract. But it may be a, a good decision. But the NBA is in a weird place right now where you have parity amongst the 
the uh, bottom 28 teams and <laughs> the, the top two teams are trying to match each other uh, brick for brick to try to build their house the best. And I don't see that changing. Um, I kind of mentioned it. We talked about this in, in the off-air conversation about what would this do or how would this uh, – the uh, recent history of star players leaving and going to different places. We mentioned KD. We talk about LeBron and other things. But what would this do? I mean, one of these teams would have to get a star player at the end of his contract probably next season or the season after that's willing to come, pass on that super max money, and go to try to extend that 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 legacy and that dynasty of at least dynasty of dominating your conference um, and try to make the team better. I mean, it, it makes for a real boring a real boring uh, professional league of basketball. Uh, there's no way, nothing that you can paint around that to try to dress it up. Uh, you can highlight all the good matches between matches between the uh, competitive teams, but it's basically a bunch bunch of mush and two one diamond and one lump of coal, depending on the year. Um, I don't know how the league as a whole can get better. Because to me, in order for the league to get better, you need to have more talent that will uh, come and bounce out the talent that's there to become better. I mean, you can look at a lot of players that are still in the league. I'll use Darren Williams as one. He's well past his prime, but due to the talent level of players that are coming in, he has a role in the league. Now, granted, he made $200,000, but, you know, for a 30-plus-year-old, it's not that bad being signed for a third of the season or a half of the season at all. So, Well, and that's because uh, Utah and I think Dallas are paying him $20 million not to play for their team. So right. he could take the two the two hundred thousand in Cleveland because he knows he's getting paid by two other teams big money. It's it's just crazy when you look at like you said, when you look at the makeup of some of these other teams, we're in that stage, that funky stage where you have the older stars like the Tony Parkers, the men the men of Ginobili's, the the LeBron James, even the Dwayne's, the, the Mellows. All of those guys that still have high tier moments, and where LeBron is still consistently doing it, but where's that that next group? We don't have like outside of that's not on Golden State. Where's that that core guys that you can really trust to say, okay, he's going to be that that next guy? They were hoping Demar Derozan to be that, Kyle Lowry to be those guys. Uh, maybe Isaiah Thomas steps in and can say. He can be that that fifth or sixth year pro that's finally stepping up, stepping into his own. Uh, James Harden. I mean, we. I look at Houston. Maybe Houston, if they make a shrewd move or, or or get somebody, they have the pieces. And you look at the, how that lineup is constructed right now. You have Harden 
and Eric Beverly at the the one and two. Beverly is known to be an irritant. Maybe he's the guy that can kind of put Steph in an uncomfortable moment. You have Harden at the two, him checking Clay. That well, if Harden played defense, that would be a better matchup. And then you have Trevor Ariza. That's one of those guys that's going into his the twilight of his career as a double digit veteran checking Durant. But what else do they have? They still need that that second or third guy. Is it Eric Gordon finally realizing who he is as a as a role player? Is it somebody else? Like maybe it's Houston. And, and that's why, honestly, even before Kawhi went down, I was hoping that I thought Houston would give better matchup than San Antonio, but because of how their roster matched up to each other, it, it still didn't work out. So you have a team like Houston, you have a team like Boston that's in that purgatory phase, that they're not there yet, but they could be there if they make the right move. But what's the right move? And unlike Boston, I mean, unlike Boston, Houston doesn't have that that high draft pick to leverage as trade bait. They don't have that that young, unproven talent that they can say, okay, we'll give you Marcus Smart and maybe Jalen Brown for a a couple of superstars or that one superstar. Or if they get uh, Gordon Hayward. That changes the whole outlook of that team. So now you got Isaiah Thomas at the one, Gordon Hayward at the two. That pushes Avery Bradley, who's still a comparable guy to the bench, maybe Jalen Brown at the three, uh, or Jay Crowder, who's a good role player. So maybe this is the year that Boston finally overtakes Cleveland. And But as you said with the whole Toronto thing, is somebody really going to watch a Boston versus Golden State NBA Finals with that roster? No, they won't. And you mentioned Houston. Houston can't do too much without a trade because players that they uh, that are contracts are up are bench players and role players, and you know they have a few spots, but their 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 core their core players are are pretty much. Um, Lock, lock, stock, and barrel. Um, but yes, that's the thing. Is what, what as the NBA? What do you do? What can you do? You can't go out and and do what everybody what was rumored to happen, but didn't happen regarding the Chris Paul trade to LA. What can you do to do this? I mean, the only thing I really can see to do this is to go ahead and pull a two K move. And say, all right, owners, we are about to do a fantasy draft. <laughs> this, this here's, here's, here it is. I'm serious. This is the only way that you can improve it, and this is where you could go because today's NBA. I'm gonna be 100 percent honest, and we said this, and I was very shocked in our conversation we had in our group chat earlier today. That somebody who grew up in our generation is a fan of players, not a fan of teams. Which is not yep. how how we grew up uh, as fans, but that with this with that being the the trending mo- move of fans nowadays, having a year to year fantasy draft would increase 
the popularity of the NBA exponentially and really allow players to still be fans of their players that they're fans of. And still, when you're going to the to to the games in your city or locally, you still have a new flavor and a new appeal than what it would be. Now, granted, for players, that's not going to work out because they want to have a place where they live and 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 all of that stuff be stable. But it still creates a very interesting uh, and entertaining, and I would dare to say more balanced NBA than what we have now. The NBA tried to do and change things by incentivizing uh, players who were drafted by a player and end up being all NBA with the super max. But magically, people still find a way around it. Or just, I don't want that money, I want to win. Um, Which is a fair option for them to do. But now you're kind of stuck in this situation and what are you going to do as a league? I I don't know as much that they can do. I think you kind of stuck, which means did you have a product that's It's interesting that you brought up, not to cut you off, the whole the fantasy draft where you 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 do it where, and I never thought this, as much as I do it and I have a league not even in 2K with the fantasy league, do four-year contracts. You have, you set, I mean, kind of, you have a structured contract where, you can have two max guys on your roster that, okay, this guy, you got a slot for a guy that can make 15 to $20 million. You got a slot on your guy, on, your, on your roster for two guys that can make 10 to $15 million and kind of break it down that way. So, that, so then you have it where you don't have a certain team able to pull off a Golden State and have – three or four max players on that initial first year. Now, if you trade for it in between and it happens out that way, then yeah, but you're not going to have Durant, uh, Steph, and Clay on the same team because you only can have two what, what will be called super max players or max players. And, I mean, it could work. It's just and, and based on the fact that you said we're more fan, our fandom for teams are so fleeting because of contracts, because of free agency. Now you you have an opportunity for a team. The only thing I would wonder is how would you do the? I guess they would have to do away with the lottery and just have based it based it strictly on 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 the record. And then you have it okay. Bring them into the fantasy draft. So now you had an opportunity that, and and you set a max amount that they can make, like it is now, and you bring them into the fantasy draft, which basically creates a, a an ideal work situation for the employer, which is the NBA, in which talent rules everything. Whereas I'm taking this guy based on his potential, or I'm going to keep this guy who's a 12 year vet based upon his talent, what I know he can bring. So therefore, people. No, I'm, are I'm, be I'm talking about up. just how they, how did they will pick even the players currently in the league? Because I know with how they do it on 2K, it's still set up like a regular draft. So would it be based on, uh, the lottery where we still would have a lottery pick and you, everybody jumping in full and lottery, full lottery for everybody. You just pull it out from, from the last from the last pick to the first pick. 
and it, everybody has an equal shot to get number one. And do it that way because everybody's going to actually be a franchise team. Yeah. So everybody's a franchise team, so it's not like, oh, we coming back and we load it. All right. Hey, Golden State may have the first pick, but who you picking? You picking Curry? You picking KD? Because whoever you mm-hmm. pick, you ain't going to have an option to pick that because your team is going to get ransacked. So now you you got to deal with the advanced scouting, and, you, and your GM has to do a, a magnificent job, and you got to be on top of those young, trending players or those players that can step in and play a role for you and match what your coach can do. Mm-hmm. It, it provides intrigue on so many levels. Uh, but I'm pretty sure the CBA and all that would go on. I would even say, man, keep it for two years. Everybody had two years. I mean, that's the one thing with contracts. Did they get keep their current contracts and the current teams, the new teams pay it? How is that going to work out? Because you'll find players like yeah, Melo. Melo probably wouldn't get drafted. Because of where he will fall <laughs> in the system. You see what I'm saying? So then he's a free agent. So then he would have to get signed free agent. Now you create a whole aspect. And and once again, people will find a way and not draft these guys and make these quote-unquote gentlemen agreements that, hey, I'm not going to draft you because your contract too big. You know, I'm going to sign you for free agent, and then I'm going to draft you next year if you, ha- if you work out right. I mean, it, it, it will be a very – very compelling story to have that play itself out. Very. But like you said, something has to give, something, because right now we're not even saying the league is four or five teams deep. It's two and a possible. And that's not saying much because one of those two really isn't one, and that possible is still hinging on the health of older players in San Antonio or the the progression of some players in Houston. Yeah. It's um uh, I just hope that more teams rise and I hope that they catch up to the field rather than the field coming back to them. Um because outside of this finals it's pretty boring. And the finals were uh, interesting at, at points and, and very entertaining in others. But as a whole, I mean, is this a if you're unless you're a Golden State fan, is this a memorable finals? KD's performance is probably the most memorable thing from the finals. But is the finals as a yeah. whole a is a memorable finals? I would say not. Nah. I mean, you just, it was anticlimactic. You had game uh, game four where Cleveland finally stepped up, but you still have people wondering, okay, at any moment, Golden State could hit a couple of threes and close the gap and run them out the gym. And it was just, it was just frustrating because even with that pivotal uh, game three, Whereas Cleveland wins that game, this whole series is different. And even with – you look back, I don't know if you remember the play where LeBron dunked on uh, KD, got hit in the hand, but they didn't call a foul. If they call a foul right there on KD, that's his third. He's sitting, and 
he's not in the game to spur them on to that big run. And I think that's where you have some of those conspiracy theories. Oh, they're not calling. They on the other side, on Cleveland side. Oh, they want to go to state to win, so they didn't call that foul. Or you have people on both sides. Oh, Cleveland didn't get the call. Cleveland got all the calls in game game four. I mean, it, it happens. It happens both ways, and that's one thing I'm definitely tired of. Oh, the NBA is. That person that that gets on social media, oh the NBA was rigged, oh they had to do this to get. I'm like the worst thing that came out in the news was the the whole conversation of Golden State make losing that twenty two million dollars if there were no game five, because that brought out all the conspiracy theories. Oh the NBA is rigged. They do what they they doing all this stuff to make sure they make this money. Okay, if the league is rigged. Why are they rigging it for Golden State and Cleveland? Why wouldn't they have L.A. and New York better? Why wouldn't they have made more of these games ever series if it's about the, the, the TV deals and the money from there? So it, it just irks me that you have a lot of uninformed fans just using that as an easy cop-out when that's not even the case. Right. And, I mean, yeah, there was some questionable calls, but there's always questionable calls, and there was, you know, that, that's that's what part of it. I always been, I was always told you you play above the refs, don't let the refs decide the game. If the refs decide the game, that's one game you keep it moving. That's not the reason why Cleveland lost. It's not the reason why Golden State won. But you know, bad right. calls are part of. It. You just have to kind of accept it. Yeah. Let's get actually into. Go ahead. You know I'm saying let's actually get into the, some of the aspects of the game. So, Kevin Durant. Um, people may have made the argument that he's now surpassed LeBron as the best player. Uh, he's had he had a breakout game in this in the finals. Um, where do you rank him in today's NBA right now? And I think the secondary question is he better than he has been in any other year than, than as he is now? Um, I I put him in the top. Three, LeBron still for me is number one because of how he played in the finals. I'm gonna give him number two, and then I, I this is a wing NBA, so I got to give the third position to Kawhi Leonard. Um, as far as is this the best we've seen him? Yeah, and and this is where my my frustration and with him and his decision comes into is is he playing this way because he's just playing at a whole nother level or is he playing this way because he has a lot easier looks because he's can't key in on him. Teams can't double team him and take him out of a game or make it difficult for him. Whereas in, in Oklahoma city, when it was just him and Russ or even Ibaka, you still have two other guys that can help. Whereas now, who are you coming off of? You're not coming off of Steph. You're not coming off of Clay. 
And even when you like Draymond didn't have the the series that we saw last year, but he still was dangerous. So who are you coming off of? And it made everybody else have to man up and defend each of those Golden State players, which gave them easier looks. And you're giving a, a, a easy look, a not a, a hardly contested shot to a guy that's seven foot with a a, wings, a wingspan like Durant. That's lights out. He should make it. He should shoot what he shot because he's with LeBron being six nine. You have Durant that's six ten, six eleven, depending on what he wants to be called, with a a six ten wingspan. That's easy. That's scary. And he took advantage of it. Yeah, he did. Um, I would argue, well, first of all, he's not the best player. He's trending toward in that direction of being the best player. I'm going to say he's – I think I agree with you. I think the, the biggest thing is that he was able to get better looks with better teammates. And I think, uh, I think he was just as clutch. I think it was just bigger moments. Um in the finals uh, and the match mis- mismatches, I mean, all honesty, full disclosure, I did not watch. Uh, I don't think I watched all of any game. I totally missed one of the games, falling asleep, old man behavior. But um, some of those shots that Durant made in the third and fourth quarter when the game was in balance, three shooting the ball over LeBron, just clutch. I think that's the biggest thing is that that was his knock, even though it wasn't all on him. He took the brunt of it, the knock from last year. And I think he played more inspired ball of people not having that opinion of you. I think that's one thing that motivates most people is that that doubt when you know you what you can do and people kind of – taking you for granted or calling you out or not being able to do it over a short uh, sample size, which the finals is a short sample size, but it's the largest sample size, uh, larger scale sample size that people would look at. So um, I think he was more clutch in clutch situations. I mean, he's had game-winning shots. He's had big-time performances. But on this stage, in a place that he had proven in the past, to not be able to get it done, he got it done. On a team right. which, which nobody thought that he would have to be nor show himself to be the best player on that team. And if anybody ever wondered who is the leader of that team as far as on the court, as far as uh, performance, it's Durant. And, come, and and this is coming back after the injury, which everybody said, well, if Durant's not there, they have no chance to win. And he proved coming back uh, that he could play just as well as he did prior to the injury and in years past. Uh, I, I mean, I'm looking back in recent finals history and as an inspired uh, performance, uh, granted, you have to look at LeBron uh, last year. Uh, I would look at Kyrie and instances last year because they wouldn't have won it without both of them, those players performing in that uh, the way that they did. But in recent history, you I don't think you've seen 
the clutch, I mean, yesterday at one point in time, he was shooting 12 or 16. I know he didn't finish shooting 12 or 16, but he was doing it at such a high clip. Uh, it was just ridiculous. Uh, he could do – and the thing is, it seemed like he could have at least gotten 10 more points if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. But he recognized the ability that and the attention that he was drawing and became a passer. So, um, it seemed – I mean, this comment probably is going to sound crazy to some folk or probably come out my my mouth differently, but he was as dominant as LeBron has shown himself to be as dominant with the mismatches that they both possess. Um, yep. Because you saw in that fourth quarter with LeBron taking Iguodala off the dribble or that, that, that series of time when he drove to the hole and nobody could stop him. The difference between the two is that what LeBron did is not a repeatable feat for every possession. But what Durant did is not necessarily a high-energy uh, a high exhaustion level of how he played the game. Dare I say, it's a smoother style of play where LeBron, due to his size and his position, it, it's a more of a, a brute force type of game to play with. <laughs> so, um, I just think the way that he that he did play and how he was dominant and and not necessarily being a forced. It didn't seem forced at all. Uh, it seemed like the offense went through him. He decided when to and not take advantage of it. I mean, it was to the point, I can't remember when he took that one shot in the lane. It was one point, like, how did that not fall? Because he was shooting so well. Mm-hmm. But I think he was right. I think he was, I think he was just more motivated. We mentioned that before. I think I told you it was neck and neck that who was more motivated to win the game, Mike Brown or KD. To win the championship. <laughs> uh, but KD proved that he, he was. And, I mean, Mike Brown can smile all day on the inside. Uh, and have to any, he, I mean, he can just go and just sit up and put his feet up and relax in his mind because he beat the team that they said that he couldn't coach. Um, and Tyrone Lou is the team, is in instances, and we talked about this part at the end of the game. But there were parts where the Golden State was going on runs in the game and his lack of calling the timeout, stopping the run, readjustment, uh, doing certain things plays a bigger part. Granted, Steve Curry is not a overall vet uh, coach. What, Steve Curry has coached, what, three years, four years? Yeah. If that, as a head coach. Um, so it's not that he does that. I mean, they both were point guards. But I think that the way that, that Steve Kerr approaches coaching, uh, and this is one of those situations because you don't—we already know—you don't have to be a great player or a good player to be a good, a great coach. But uh, you, the way that this series played itself out, coaching-wise, is kind of how those two careers played themselves out. Kind of a parallel, like, hey, this guy was a serviceable guy, and this guy was a guy who 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 was. Sound tactician, foundationally made some clutch shots, and there it is. And that was kind of like the consistency of one and the inconsistency of others kind of end up being, in my opinion, coaching-wise, the difference, even though Steve Kerr uh, didn't come back, uh, you know, didn't coach the entire uh, finals or the entire playoffs due to the injury. Um, so we talked about it. 
and I looked at it, and once again, I told everybody I did not watch the whole game, but in the instance where I was watching, when the game was back and forth, game was still under 10. I think it was a minute and a half or so ago. I think it was an eight-point lead. And Cleveland misses, misses a shot or had a turnover. And there was not a foul that occurred in the last minute and a half. Granted, there weren't too many stops defensively either. But you have to find a way to extend the game. I mean, like the way they were playing the game was like they were down 18 and not 8. I mean, it's only game five in the elimination game. You got to do something. Somebody got to file. You ain't got to wait on the coast to file. They say, hey, if we don't cut it to five, we ain't filing. I mean, you got to do something. I mean, to me, it, I don't know. I'm, I don't, I don't want to peg it as big. <laughs> I, I, I was about to say, though, I, I, I don't want to peg it as being an overall negative uh, uh, aspect and pay them off as being soft, or but I just don't think it was the wisest decision to not try to extend the game to get extra possessions. Hell, call a timeout after a made basket, something – to give your team the opportunity. Call the timeout and put in your three-point shooters. Something. And I think you have two different play coaches that are coaching overly talented teams that approach it two different ways. Where I feel that Steve Kerr wants to make sure they, the coach, the players know that he's coaching them and he makes the adjustments so that they understand and they trust his decision-making where – I don't know, and I'm going to say this, once I, there's no inside information. I don't know how much Cleveland players trust Tyrone Lue to call the game, to make the decisions. I think they, they kind of default to LeBron. LeBron, LeBron may have said, no, nah, man, we ain't fine. He may have said that. But the thing is, LeBron was gassed. He had done everything that he yeah. could physically do in that game to do it. And his teammates feed off of him. Uh, yeah. Kyrie had a bad fourth quarter, but you know where he where he lacked. J.R. Smith kind of stepped up. You you know so you know I think it kind of you know it kind of sunk in like hey we're not in this situation we're not where we wanted to be or want to be at this point in the game so we just gonna chalk it up like hey that's all right we'll be back next year reloaded. That was almost kind of how it was with the. I'm not saying that, but that's just how it felt. Because I'm like, dude, why is nobody filing? I didn't see people filing games in double figures and game and, and closeout games to try to get extra possession. And it was an eight-point game at the time. Uh, they lost by nine. So it wasn't like it was – I mean, granted, yes, that's three-possession game, but it was a three-possession game with over a minute to go. I don't know. You found that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm on the the opposite side of it. I figured at that point they had waved the the, the white flag, and and considering how things were going with the shooters, who were they gonna file? So it was just pro- prolonging the inevitable. And as you said with LeBron and some of the other guys, they were just tired, and they figured, okay. These guys are just firing on all cylinders, so how are we going to kind of compete? So it is what it is. I mean, it, it, it sucks. And you already know the the haters, 
of LeBron and his legacy are going to come out full force. See, that's why he's not better than Jordan and all that bull crap, but that's not completely on him. That's not completely on the team. That said before, that goes to coaching. That goes to just the, the higher-ups and trusting them, and it just never happened. Um, it's it's unfortunate that – and this is why I found myself, like, even rooting for the Cavs as a LeBron apologist because I just don't understand the hate. I don't get the dislike for him. I mean, I see the – the nicknames LeBum, LeBrick, LeCrivet. Mike, dude, he is one of the, if not one of the greatest players, definitely the greatest small four in our in, in our time. And no shade to Larry Bird, but when all things are said and done, he is going to, if they're going to do a Mount Rushmore of the starting five, the greatest five starting, starting five, he's going to be at small four. And for Jordan fans, okay, I get the the whole con the, the conflict and the the conversation should be ended. But those who claim in Kobe, I'm like Kobe's not even the best shooting guard. So why are y'all even bringing him up? And it it all boils down to that 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 BS, that garbage, oh killer instinct. And I ask people, and I'm gonna ask you, what is killer instinct, and why is this such a thing that's necessary? for some players, but for the greats that you hell have them, has it, what happens in those, in those moments where they don't always exhibit it? They don't get, they seem to get that pass like Jordan did in 95 or Kobe in 04 for not exhibiting that, that killer instinct. But LeBron has a triple-double, and people want to ring him over the coals. Oh, he's not taking enough shots. Like, what? I think uh, the killer instinct is that I think it's that uh, innate ability to, when needed, players step up to the plate uh, on a consistent basis. Uh, They won't pass the ball out uh, when the game is on the line and want to take the last shot. Um, They are the leader of the team, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard. I mean, it's easier to see it there than uh, it is not because there's so few people in there. It's like that person who is, you know, hey, it's nine seconds on the clock. We down two. I'm dribbling the ball up, calling the play nice and smooth and go through and make that or put up that high percentage or that clutch shot in somebody's face. I mean, it, the thing is, is that because it's so rare of, uh, the clutch player on a consistent basis. Because you people, you you have people that argue that Robert Horry is a clutch player, or was a clutch player. He was in moments and in spots. And then under the big spotlight as well. But across the board as his career, he wasn't a clutch player. And I think that killer instinct is that instinct that you can't be stopped. Even though you can and you have been and you will be stopped before again, uh, I think it's just the way that they approach the game. It's a different way that they approach the game. And the thing is, the reason why LeBron isn't uh, pegged as that or viewed as that is because he's an all-around player. He's a 5-2 player. He'll pass the ball. He'll shoot the ball. He'll dribble, penetrate. He can do it all. 
and not that those other players don't, but when it comes down to the line, uh, to the game on the line, he doesn't feel that it has to be him to win the game. He is willing right. to trust his teammates enough. I mean, Isaiah Thomas had that for a long while, and I think he kind of broadened it when he gained that trust of his teammates. But if you look at Jordan for – I mean, you see, think of the players that he had and he trusted that he would pass that ball to. Scotty may be the only one that he would on a consistent basis. And once again, I don't think it would be on that big. I mean, he's kicked it out. He kicked it out to Paxton, to Hodges, to Kerr, probably. And once again, those are three different players. But those are wing three play, uh, three point shooters. Probably more than he did to Scotty in the game on the line. But the thing is that Jordan probably took those shots as well. And, yes, they keep those tracks of how many game-winning shots you made or you miss or whatever. I mean, the thing is that you're going to miss them. But you make more than you hope you make more than you miss. But I think that LeBron is not pegged like that because LeBron wants to be known as an all-around player. LeBron wants to be the player that uh, – that, uh, Westbrook was this year averaging a triple-double. That's the type of player that he wants to be known as, and that's the type of player that he is, that he can dominate on multiple levels of the game, and he doesn't just have to be that shooter or that scorer. Um, because when you think of Kobe, you think of uh, of Jordan, you think of scoring. You think of clutch scoring. You think of – you. Uh, what, you know, you think of other aspects, but you don't think of the all-around player. You don't think of games on the line, Kobe's going to kick it out to uh, Derek Fisher or whoever is out there. Uh, the same thing with Jordan. You think about games on the line, who do I want to shoot this ball? I mean, I honestly, at the end of the day, game, if depending on what type of shot it is, would depend on what it is. I, I yeah. probably wouldn't want LeBron to be shooting a jump shot. But if I got time for LeBron to drive to the hole, I definitely want LeBron to drive to the hole. And I want him to take that shot. So the thing is, it just kind of depends on the situation of what type of player it is. LeBron has those tendencies, but he does not allow that tendency to be his dominant tendency. And and he's viewed negatively for it. But once again, because you're doing that, that I'm not even going to say that, that uh, the unnatural comparison of these players to Jordan and to other greats instead of allowing the people to be themselves. I I used to be right. – comparison is natural. I used to be a person to do that, but at the end of the day, it becomes divisive and it becomes uh, a biased argument because you pick stats that's going to that's gonna, uh, uh, fall in your favor of whoever that you're favoring instead of – you can have more than one person be great. I mean, you know, we 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 could agree to disagree regarding uh, KD of him being he can still be great regardless of what team he played on. I mean, people are like I would respect him more if he stayed in OKC and and never won a championship but was great. Well, yeah, you would, but that's the type of uh, general basketball generation we grew up in, where guys, a lot of guys retired from teams that they got drafted by. But that's not today's NBA, and players have more freedom to make the decisions that they want regarding their career. The things that 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 players have always wanted, and if those are the players that we held in high regard truly had that, would they really stay? 
Right. You don't know. And that's, and, and that's a great unknown. Mm-hmm. And I think my issue is, and, and I've asked some people this, where did this whole standard of Jordan being the GOAT come from? Um, and I think that's where when you people wrongfully compare LeBron to Jordan simply on that GOAT status, but there's a segment of fans out here that will say Jordan ain't the GOAT. Because it's funny how everybody, I've seen the memes, I've seen the pictures, I've seen the images, even after last night, oh, that's why he'll never be the GOAT 6-0. and But are the finals, is your final record the litmus test? If that's the case, then why isn't Bill Russell the GOAT? Uh, why isn't Kareem the GOAT? If it's about points, uh and being a complete player and that type of thing. It's just that's my thing now is just trying to find out why people have Jordan automatically pegged as the 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 torchbearer for that title. Because you I mean there and, and this I might end up doing some research on this and doing some things. I might need your help with it out offline. Just to figure mm-hmm. out, okay, when it comes down to points where do you scoring ability, passing ability, rebound? Where do you rank? Because it, it's maybe seven guys that I could say are in that conversation with four of the greatest of all time: Jordan, uh, Kareem, Magic, um, uh, LeBron, uh, Kobe, and maybe Will. So from there. How do you rank these guys? Are you ranking these guys against themselves based on scoring, based on rebounding, based on playmaking to get some type of point system? Is it something like that? Or are you just, oh, because he won six titles? Because if that's the only thing, and this is where Nick Wright from um, Fox Sports 1 had a point before he went totally totally uh, LeBron fanboy, was if that's the only litmus test that you're using for Jordan as the GOAT, then you're missing the point. If you can say, oh, because Jordan did this, Jordan did that, Jordan had this this record or had these stats or had this moment, then okay. But if the first thing that comes out of your mouth is six and oh, six rings, I don't want to hear that. That's that's it that's a cop out. That's a that's the easy that's the easy way out of calling somebody, calling him the GOAT. But then when you bring up, in that same conversation, you bring up Bill Russell as being the go. Oh, he didn't play tough competition. Oh, here we go with this. So he didn't play tough enough competition, but Jordan did. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always, it's, it's, it's too opinion-based and not enough factual things to kind of have a, a standard in saying it, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whether it's even certain positions. Who's the greatest point guard? Who's the greatest quarterback? Who's the greatest center? You, everybody has their own criteria that may not all match up. So when you say, and, and, and going on a tangent with quarterback, oh, Brady versus Montana versus Manning, is it because Brady got the, the rings or Manning got the stats or Montana got a combination of both? You can never, you're going to ask 100 people, and you're going to have probably 90 different answers based on that, and it's going to be ugly. 
Yeah, the criteria, I mean, everybody's criteria is different because they hold certain things in higher regard. And I think I would probably say in basketball, you you have to break it up by position because there's certain things that certain positions aren't asked to do, and it really is not fair to, to hold that against a player, a center, that they don't drop dimes or – they don't do certain things, or for a guard, they don't rebound well or block shots. I mean, it's an overall comparison of best player. And I think when it comes to, you know, with Jordan, I think people play put a whole lot of things that are non-basketball related on Jordan's plate that adds to him being the greatness in their eyes. Um, but they don't apply those things to other players like Magic Johnson or Larry Bird. Who brought the right. NBA out of a dead uh, out of a dead period? Uh, where they really, I mean, and somebody mentioned it earlier, like the seventies was a dead period in the NBA. Nobody really. What's your, the most you hear about the NBA in the seventies? Is probably Dr. J. Other than that, what else? Dr. Do you hear? J. and Lou Alcindor. Right, but you don't hear too much out out of that. You, the sixties were the Celtics. You have. The, the lost years, and then you had the beginning of that rivalry of uh, Boston and L.A. Well, the continuation of that rivalry, um, which, by the way, that 30 and 30 is on, actually on now, I think. Uh, so I'll definitely check that out on on DVR. But, um, yeah, so I think there's so many different ways. I think the best player, the best all-around player, two different players. And does one way higher than the other one? I don't think so. Um, so, and once again, it, looking at the, 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 the criteria <clears throat> that people use, it would be probably be interesting to see if you force people to rank people around that criteria and then go back and look at that. Because sometimes if you say, well, hey, this person is the best, but you have criteria that isn't necessarily their strong suit, are people going to, Overrank them to make sure that that still falls in suit, or would it be honest? Um, because you look at certain aspects of all these players, and everybody has flaws. Nobody was a flawless player, but you look at what right. they're doing and how they did it. But <clears throat> um, how do they compare? Even if you just give twenty players and say rank this player in this category, and everybody gets a single slot, it will it would be it would be interesting. Looks like we got a research project doing up. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, uh, best overall player and best all-around player, best player in the NBA right now. I mean, it really doesn't matter who's the best player. I mean, the best thing for the for the uh, NFL is that you have a uh, right now a debate amongst fans and amongst some media members of who is the best player. Which brings conversation, but do you have a a group of players who are considered the best overall? Then that's what makes it good. I mean, you look at, and we don't talk about hockey much, but you look at the, in in uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals, is Sidney Crosby being the MVP and wasn't even close to being the best player on his on his team, but it was because the NHL is trying to force down a product that people may are not necessarily willing to swallow, so they're trying to make people the face of the league instead of letting the face rise from 
to play. Um, you know, where literally I think in the finals he had one or two goals. Uh, but again, it, it depends on what kind of place you're coming from in your league. You need more of that because in the in it, I mean in the NBA, you almost need every team to have a star player. And there are a lot of teams without star players. I don't. Here's the question. Do you think there's enough star players in the NBA for every team to have one star player? If you spread them all out, is it enough for every team to have eight one star player? One star player, and, one. and I'm going by the, the the. I guess I gotta ask what for you. What the star player mean? I mean, you can define the star player. I would define the star player as. Best player on their team, top. I would say a star player, not not the overused star player, but a star player. When you start naming people that are un, uh, uh, undisputed star, I started KD, uh, Kawhi, LeBron, uh, players like that. Once again, I stopped naming because, once again, it is is relative to what you hold in high regard. I may start naming things and people say, "Oh hell no, that ain't no, he ain't no star." But that's the thing. I think it I is when you look at when you look at teams, even like uh, Boston. Al Horford is a star. Isaiah Thomas is a star. Memphis, Marcus Saul is a star. Uh, Zebo at one point was. Uh, Mike Conley is one. Uh, you have in shoot New Orleans, Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins. Uh, Charlie Kimball Walker, uh, Indianapolis Paul George. Uh, Golden State you have four. Cleveland you have two. Because I think Kevin Love lost his star status. Uh, even in Minnesota, you have two, maybe three, Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, and uh, Zach Levine. Now, his, Levine may not be a star because of his regular season prowess, but because of his dunk and, and, and potential on the court, that's where he comes in. You have the Clippers, you have CP3, you have Blake. So I think it's enough guys to get one per team, because even some of the lower teams, you have Greek Freak, you have technically Andre Drummond, uh, Chicago, you have Jimmy Butler. Uh, Only team I really can't think of that doesn't have a clear cut, maybe Philly, because I I think Embiid, if he could play a little bit more, has that star power, because he has that charisma, he has that attention. And he, he plays with a flair that I think fans love. Uh, New Jersey doesn't have one. Orlando may not have one. And Sacramento. So you figure that's four or five teams that don't have a legitimate star, but you have at least three or four teams with multiple stars on their team. So, yeah, I think it's enough now. When you get into that word a superstar, nah, because it's only maybe maybe five to ten, if that many superstars in the NBA. 
So that I mean that uh, I mean, and that's the thing is when you're looking at that because you need star players on there. I mean, you you mentioned I.J. Drummond and around here we would probably say no, but if you look at his stats and how he's viewed in the league, probably yes. But the thing is, is that you know his numbers may be deceiving based upon what you're looking for. I think his numbers are deceiving. I think he kind of is underwhelming. Or at least was underwhelming this year, uh, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you need that to have that star power uh, because that star power does a lot of different things, especially um, when it comes to the true star power of making people better. Because it takes a while to build teams. I mean. Uh, I can't remember who. I think it was Tiki and Tierney I was listening to, and he was saying how if you look at Golden State's roster just a few years back and see how troubled it was back the year uh, the year that they drafted. Uh, uh, well, I can't think of my boy uh, uh, Thompson. Their their roster was deplorable. Um, yeah. And Kwame Brown and players like that on the team, and just building. And they were actually at that point trying to determine if they were going to keep Steph. It came down between Steph Curry and Monte Ellis going to Milwaukee for Andre Bogut, and some people Mm -hmm. felt they should have got rid of Steph. So, I mean, just imagine what would happen to that team if they had traded Steph Curry. Because at the time, he right. was dealing with his ankle issues. He still hadn't stepped into his full stardom. And people wonder, okay, is he going to be anything more than maybe a a 15 to 21-point guy that can win you a couple of games but can't get you over the hump? Right. And that's uh... – Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the thing is you have to have it. But you look at the NBA and where it is now, it's it's leaps and bounds from that. And you do a whole lot of thing, uh, a whole lot of stuff to pretty it up and do some great marketing things and try to make it look better. But at the end of the day, when it boils down to it, it's a lackluster product that doesn't have to be lackluster. And there's numerous things that you can do, but it is what it is. But here's a question before we we only got a few minutes to go. Uh, So now basketball season is over with. Hockey is over with. Which for up until game five, I will say that I have watched more minutes of the Stanley Cup finals than I did of the NBA finals. And it was partially, part of it it was not fully by design. Because I fought, I fell asleep on at least three of the NBA final games, and part of it was because of how late it started. Yes, I'm on old man behavior. I admit it. I admit it. But yeah, so I fell asleep <laughs> on it. But now we're here and we're in what some people call the dead zone, uh, where the only professional sport you have going on is baseball. Uh, excuse me, and golf and tennis. Uh, but really, baseball is the major sport. Uh, so what do you do as a fan? Do you watch baseball more regularly, or do you rely on the NFL 
the NFL Network to play your uh, the replays and all the, the camps and everything else and kind of ride your way to August, which will be the beginning of football season for folks. I mean, 20 years, well, yeah, 20 years ago, I was 18, so I probably would have been like, baseball, no doubt, but as I get older, I kind of lost track of the sport, even even to the point where it's like, okay, ooh, dang, the, the Rangers game is on. I could have watched it. It just, you don't put it on your to-do list. So I find myself, I was watching the, they show right before we came on the air, the, the, the replay of the Maryland versus Michigan game, the year that Brady Hoke got fired. I was more into that than I was into watch the College World Series or something like that. So it's just it's unfortunate that even in a moment like this, baseball is still losing. You still have fans that are willing to turn the NFL network and watch hours of rehashed conversation about this player getting cut or where this guy is going to land than actually watching a live telecast of a Excuse me, of an actual baseball game, whether it's college or whether it's the pros. Yeah, uh, part of my reason, I probably watch more non-Tiger games than Tiger games just because of how they've been playing. Uh, But, and this was only a matter of maybe like two years ago. I really want to be confident that I, every day I was watching Tigers games. I mean, my sons were watching the games. We were watching it all together, and it was a different thing. But, like, now, and maybe it's a reallocation of my schedule or how things change, but uh, I find – I mean, I have it on now, actually, only because they got back in the game. They were down 6 nothing. They tied it up with a six-run, I think, six. But now it's, like, where it is. And that also – and once again, this is my team with the Tigers. I, every time that I watched it, that they were close in the game, something they end up choking it off. So I ended up like, you know, I'm about to be, the, I'm end up the bad luck charm. So let me fall off from watching them and let, let them do something, and I'll catch them when they, when I can't be a, a bad luck charm for them. So uh, I, baseball is my favorite sport as a child. Cannot say unequivocally it is my favorite sport now. I can get into the inner part, inner workings of the game. Oh, look at what – listen, listen, listen. We we can't script this. We can't script this any better. But for Tiger fans, it can't be scripted any worse. What did I just say about me not watching the Tigers because of <laughs> – First pitch, top of the ninth inning. Justin Wilson, the closer in, gives up a solo opposite field shot to Peralta. Not Johnny, but David. I'm like, dude. I mean, it, like, seriously. Crazy. But, you know, that's the type of what it is. But I'm a Tigers fan. I'm I'm a baseball fan. I, I'll get into it probably more so in the, in the, the, the long days of summer than I am right now because, you know, there's no option. The tennis tournaments are 
you know, few and far between. I mean, you got the French Open just ended. You got Wimbledon at a start like in two weeks or so. But uh, Serena's not playing, so there's less intrigue in that. Um, and then golf, uh, you know, so far this season, seven players, 25 and under, have won seven different players. So now it's parity in golf. So doing this. Oh, I may end up watching the rest of this Tiger game because uh, the Diamondback closer is Beanie Siegel's a.k.a. Fernando Rodney. So <laughs> that that may work out. But, I mean, this is baseball. I mean, it's – I mean, you're never out of a game. 6-0, these cats came back, got back in the game. They get opportunity to, to win it, but – I think baseball I'm going to ride with until probably the beginning of August where you get more relevant coverage towards football um, and go right into that. Uh, high school ball starts. You know, I love that. And some of the team, local teams here are actually uh, playing against some national powers, uh, which adds to the intrigue and gives you that, me- that good measuring stick to see where they fall. So, yeah. It can fall back, but it can add to more different things that you do. But it's definitely uh, baseball season for me. I can't. Football, unless it's a good Michigan game in the past, even games that they lost, I've watched some of those tough games, those one-two games, uh, Michigan-Ohio State games that we lost late and are still trying to dissect and understand how we lost the game. Uh, but, you know, it's baseball season. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to let baseball shine while it can. Because by the time the season's over, they'll be competing with hockey, potentially uh, basketball, and football, college and pro. So I'll let them have their time to shine. And hopefully my local product is a little bit better. May even try to get to the Mud Hen game, which I have never been to a Mud Hen game. I don't know if I'm I'm the only Tigers fan that hasn't, but I have not. Have you? (laughs) No, I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is, but we will be back next week with a diverse group, I mean, diverse uh, number of uh, topics, talking about the upcoming uh, NBA draft, which is a little less than two weeks away. It's on the 22nd. Uh, so until then, folks, I think we out of here. And with that, we will holler at you next yeah. week. Make sure you go to the website. Podcast will be up on blogtalkradio.com slash sportsqna. Also on iTunes. It'll also be up on the Facebook page and on our website, www.sportsqanda.com. And now we're out of here. Peace. Peace.